This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, April 20th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. The Biden administration appears to be moving forward with an attempt at larger-scale student debt cancellation. The fiscal impact is one thing, but is it even a good idea on other metrics? Cato's Neil McCluskey comments. Since the pandemic began, uh, at least in the United States, as an official matter, um, it was really early March of 2020. What happened to student loans during that time? Right. So we got to sort of take ourselves back to March 2020 and understand what people were looking at. We were all, I think, you know, at the very least uncertain what COVID-19 meant. Uh, there was a lot of fear in part because of uncertainty. Uh, and we saw states, uh, and elsewhere, moving to lockdowns where nobody was allowed to leave their house, where the economy was essentially going to come to a halt for at least some period of time. We didn't know how long. And it was a legitimate concern that people simply wouldn't have income because we expect a lot of people to lose their jobs uh, in order to pay back student loans. Uh, And We don't want the federal government being involved in student lending, but since it is the biggest student lender, it made some practical sense to pause repayment of those loans. And the Trump administration did that early, uh, well, probably uh, mid-March 2020. They said, we're going to pause repayment. And importantly, within a couple of weeks of their saying that as an administration, it was incorporated into the CARES Act that there would be a pause on federal student loan repayment. I think the original pause was supposed to be six months or so uh, in anticipation of what we actually saw, which was lockdowns leading to a huge uh, decrease in economic activity, a big sort of fast recession or depression, you know, depends on how you want to define it, but a huge drop in economic activity. Okay. So uh, that was in the Trump team. Uh, with the help of Congress, mm-hmm. and uh, the student loan repayments were put into law. So what's happened since then? Yeah. So what we've seen since then is a, sort of a series of extensions of this freeze unilaterally by the president. Actually, Trump did it first, right before he was going to leave office. He did a very short extension. Uh, And then the Biden administration has extended it several times. In total, we've seen seven of these extensions. And the Biden administration just uh, last few weeks extended again, saying, well, we were supposed to restart repayment at the end of May. We're going to move it to August 31st. And his argument for doing that was, well, basically, Nobody's really ready to repay. Plus, there's inflation, and for some reason, that means we shouldn't have people repay their student loans. It really was a very flimsy argument for extending this freeze, but it was true probably that the Department of Education and borrowers and the servicers who the Department of Education pays to service these loans, they probably weren't ready in large part because nobody really expected the Biden administration to start collecting these loans again. So what where does where do things stand now? I know there is a concerted push uh, among Democrats to one make this permanent, make it larger, like, like just cancel the debt outright uh, for up to I think fifty thousand dollars for a lot of borrowers. What would that mean? Yeah. So the first thing we got to understand is this freeze we've had. It's been sort of overshadowed by this move for mass cancellation 
which is a much bigger thing. But people need to understand that the freeze has cost taxpayers about $100 billion because nobody's been paying interest on their student loans, and that interest is being forgiven. So the people uh, who are you know, not repaying, that's taxpayers not getting repaid. And that's been a, about $100 billion that they've lost out on. Uh, and so it's important to keep that in mind. This isn't costless. The original idea of a freeze was just, okay, we'd freeze it and then pick right back up where we were. But that's not how it works. The other problem is they are counting this time that's frozen toward income, well, toward loan forgiveness. There are lots of different loan forgiveness programs. They have lots of different timelines. But they're saying, look, basically, you've gotten two years worth of time counting toward your repayment that leads you to forgiveness where you haven't really been repaying. And so there's going to be another cost of people getting loans forgiven where they haven't repaid as much as they were supposed to. So that's the freeze part. And, and we don't want to lose sight of it has big costs too. But it's been overshadowed by an effort we've seen for a few years now, driven by Senator Warren and then kind of picked up by Senator Schumer to say what we really need is mass forgiveness of student debt up to $50,000 per borrower, you know, regardless of their income. Um, the goal being ultimately to wipe away all debt and often saying actually – Biden could do it on his own, which is an even bigger problem. Uh, and then you're talking about you know, over a trillion dollars, not just the hundred billion, which is not nothing that we've gotten from the freeze. Yeah. Uh, student loans as a as balances outstanding is larger than auto loans, credit mm -hmm. card loans and uh, revolving home equity loans. It's big. Um one of the reasons, actually, that student loans became a much bigger issue than they used to be was it was around 2011 or so. Uh, total student debt surpassed total credit card debt. Um, and psychologically, that was a big milestone. And it's true. I mean, people are correct in saying that the federal government, actually, they don't always say this, but this is what happened. They get part of the story right, which is they're correct in saying to some extent you're sort of trapped because. What happened was the federal government put more and more aid into college, giving it to students. Uh, it really started with the GI Bill in the 1940s and the 1950s, but grew to include civilians in the 1960s and 70s and 80s. And the more aid they put into it, the more they incentivized people to get degrees, the more that employers required degrees for jobs that didn't previously require them and where the job hadn't really changed. And people were sort of put in a more difficult situation where you kind of had to go to college to stay in the same place. Meanwhile, that aid also enabled colleges to raise their prices, almost always in excess of normal inflation of household income. And so people are saying, look, this is kind of unfair because we are sort of trapped. But the reality is there's still actually a big payoff for going to college. And most people who take that debt are doing it to get that big payoff that would enable them to pay it back. Uh, and so while we can have some sympathy for the concerns about what student aid has done, it is still not the case that somebody who takes on student debt is doomed to debt forever. Since before even the financial crisis, if you look at a chart from Fred or uh, other people who track student debt outstanding, it moves up like stairs. 
it moves up and then and then it flattens up, flatten up, flat up, flat up, flat. It's moving in just this sort of mechanical way up to, as you said, well over a trillion dollars now. Yes, it's it has almost always moved up. There is a little bit of good news right at the uh, right in the last few years, which I'll, I'll talk about in a second. Uh, but something really crucial needs to be understood, I think, about student debt, aside from the fact that most people took on debt because they knew it would lead to greater earnings over their lifetime, earnings that easily enable them to pay off that debt. The concern that we usually see or the anecdotes we see in media stories about debt is usually somebody who has $100,000 of debt or $120,000 of debt, and they say this person will never be able to pay it off. But most of the people who have that debt, that level of debt, and that is not most people with debt, those are people who have gone to graduate school and often to medical school. And medical school has a much bigger lifetime payoff than even going to undergraduate. So we have to understand that that debt looks big, but it's actually not that big relative to the earnings they're going to get from having that degree. And when you calculate that, and the Brookings Institution has done it, the Urban Institute has done it, so these are sort of left-leaning organizations, disproportionately that debt is held by high wealth people. Either they're already high wealth or they will be because of all the extra human capital they've gotten. So we've got to be very careful to understand that it would be really regressive to cancel $50,000 of debt, up to $50,000 for everyone, because the people who have that much debt are going to be people who are already well-to-do. They are well off. They're the ones who are going to get the vast majority of this benefit. So we've got to understand that. The people who uh, have smaller debt actually tend to uh, have more people struggling to repay it. Um, and those are people who went to college but weren't really, for many reasons, able to complete, many possible reasons. Uh, and they may need help, but $50,000 of debt is going far beyond them to lots of people who don't need it. And that's why, actually, among kind of Democrats and liberals, there's a big split on what to do. Many recognize it's regressive. Many will say it's regressive. But there are some more progressive activists who say, no, we've got to forgive this for everyone. And that's gotten us to where we are now, where we see sort of a, a muddling through. I, I think we're heading to some, you know, instead of a freeze to kind of a gross permafrost because the Biden administration seems to recognize it is a terrible idea to do mass cancellation, but still wants to send the message. They want to send lots of cancellation. So they're doing it through all sorts of different methods. They've changed something called public service loan forgiveness. So people who didn't previously qualify will, so they can say they're doing that. They're more aggressively going after uh, or going to bat for people, say, where they were defrauded by their for-profit college. They're doing lots of things short of mass forgiveness. And part of it is continually extending this freeze that was probably should have ended about a year and a half ago. Yeah. If you have $200,000 in student debt, presumably that means that you have a high power degree, as, as you mentioned. Uh, but Democrats, I think, have pointed out uh, that this mass cancellation would result in, for example, a massive increase in wealth in black households, and this is these are the that's one of the arguments that they're putting forth to say, hey, look, this is going to help a lot of low income people. Yeah. So the concern should be uh, as a baseline, if the government is going to run a loan program, the expectation is people who take out that loan, repay it in accord with the terms they agreed to. 
Um, and so we shouldn't say, well, okay, now after the fact, other things are more important. That said, if that is the concern, if the concern is to help, you know, low income people or people who had low wealth, it makes no sense to say we're going to forgive up to $50,000 of everybody's debt. Uh, President Biden, when he was running for president, said, you know, uh, I could accept $10,000 of debt across the board forgiveness. But not only is that much lower than $50,000, I think it has to come through legislation, not me just unilaterally deciding, oh, I'm going to forgive that debt. That's a much more reasonable uh, answer to this problem than $50,000 of debt to everyone because it is unquestionably regressive to do $50,000 of debt. I think there are other things that we need to do for people who struggle with debt, but it doesn't actually require something new. It requires an emphasis on the fact we already have a whole bunch of programs for income-based repayment, where if you don't earn a lot, you don't have to repay in a level that is painful, and then you get forgiveness in a certain amount of time. Why not emphasize that those programs exist rather than just say, oh, let's just forgive a whole, let's forgive the whole thing uh, and then move on. And uh, in, in, with a reminder that doing that leads to lots of unintended consequences, including, well, why shouldn't colleges charge even more? Because people take more debt with the expectation it'll just be forgiven. A lot of people who have student debt, as you mentioned, are people who didn't finish. I wonder how the federal government large takeover, essentially, of student lending has altered universities' willingness to accept people that they know are never going to graduate. Oh, there's no question that you've had an expansion of, of colleges and university seats as a result of student aid. It's not typically a problem that, you know, a flagship state university or, you know, Harvard or, or these colleges we tend to think of that they have necessarily lowered their standards to the point where they're taking people who aren't really equipped or able for many possible reasons to complete college. What we've seen is a great expansion of lots of other schools that's, that, that includes for-profit college universities, but includes community colleges, regional state colleges, universities, small private colleges, universities, many of which take anyone. And that is a, a very big problem, which is if you give people money to go do something, um, why are we shocked when lots of people say, you know, what? I will set up some sort of school uh, to get that money. And one thing the federal government doesn't do Again, they shouldn't be in student loans for myriad reasons. But if they're going to be, you would think that a basic thing they would do is assess the academic background um, and the likely ability of a borrower, a potential borrower, to succeed in a college program that is likely to lead to a job that you know, enables them to earn enough money to at least repay that loan. The federal government doesn't do anything like that. It doesn't do sort of basic academic underwriting, which would be make a whole lot of sense. Again, we don't want the federal government doing this, but if they're going to do it, it would make a lot of sense because it would save a lot of borrowers the pain of borrowing, going into a program in the hopes they'll be able to finish it, even though the odds are pretty clearly against them, and then having them not finish and having a bunch of debt. And that's part of the irony of this is 
student aid and student loans are supposed to be seen as generosity, as the federal government and federal politicians helping people. But it is really the help that hurts because you give this surface impression that you care and that you're helping, but you know that that is going to cause a whole lot of people to be saddled with debt they do seriously struggle with to repay because you don't want to seem mean by saying, well, we should probably check and see whether this is a good idea for you. A private lender would do that because they don't want to bear the risk of a bunch of loans not being repaid. But if you're a federal politician, ah, it's no skin off your back. Only taxpayers don't get repaid. And we, you know, we can talk nicely about the people who are actually struggling with student debt, while many of our proposals are for the people who won't struggle with it because they got uh, expensive but very powerful graduate degrees, including medical uh, degrees and law degrees and MBAs and lots of things that they expect will have a big payoff. Neil McCluskey directs the Cato Institute Center for Educational Freedom. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>